From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Here we are rocking it on the Automotive ADHD Show. I am Matt West here to talk about cars, car things, your car sounds, generally speaking. I think we are going to be talking about cars today. I am the host of this show. I've got a, uh, I've got lots to get to. This one's a really packed show. This was a busy, busy week of uh, interesting automotive-related things. We're going to get to a little bit of, of course, uh, news. We're going to talk about the Fed's interest rate hike and how that is going to affect cars, and importantly, car loans. Also, uh, the new International Scout. That's going to Make well, I say new. There, that's your hint. There, the International Scout is going to make a return as a Volkswagen. I don't know about that, but we're going to talk about it. Also, I'm going to answer a listener-submitted question and talk about why you shouldn't pour Coke into your gas tank. Obviously, but uh, my good friend, friend of the show, OBD One Kenobi, is going to join me in the third half to discuss what exactly happens. When you do that. So anyway, it has been a, uh, like I said, a very busy week. Uh, one other thing I have also done is uh, I created a um, a talk tick, 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 talk. That, yeah, that that's social media platform. I know I finally caved to it. I said I was never going to do it. I did it. If you want to follow me on it, Automotive ADHD podcast on TikTok. I've been posting uh, this past week a bunch of stuff uh, from the garage, working on cars, a couple of different things, clips from the show as well. Um, if you are a staunch uh, person who does not like TikTok, that's okay. Just download it and subscribe to me and no one else, and you will be fine. You will be fine. So anyway, ladies, gentlemen, AutoZam AZ1s. Before we talk about uh, the interest rates and the new Scout, uh, something interesting I saw. Someone in Germany uh, was remodeling their house uh, when they uh, and they were tearing down some walls. When they discovered a room that they had used for years, the pantry in their house, uh, and they'd always thought, you know, it's kind of weird that the ceiling is so low and has this curved shape to it. Well, they discovered after tearing the walls down that hiding behind the walls was a Ford Transit van. <laughs> yeah, this is interesting. So apparently the house was built sometime in the uh, mid to late 1950s. And uh, so this is a kind of 1950s era transit van. Um, and of course, uh, it looks to, to my American listeners and to people like me as well who are like, oh, what's a transit van? Well, it looks a lot, in this case, it looks a lot like a VW bus to give you a to give you some visual context, it looks similar to that. And what's interesting is, uh, and I, of course I have to give um, Peter Holdereth from the uh, Drive a hat tip for finding this one, but uh, what's interesting about it is this van would not have been very old when it was parked here. And someone literally parked a van in this spot, and apparently the history of this home and this property was it initially... Uh, was a popular place to camp, and then someone decided to finally build a house there. And uh, my the the leading theory is someone parked this van, was living out of it, and decided, okay, well, I bought the property, and I'm living out of this van while I build my house. And uh, oh, I will just leave the van here, you know. Or I would like to, you know, uh, hypothesize that someone just, um, I don't know, maybe the van broke down, and they said, yep. <laughs> This is a sign from the gods. This is a sign from from uh, old uh, Henry Ford himself that this is where we must build this house. 
And so they did. I don't know. My my theory might be a little um might be a little out there. But regardless, it's one of those interesting things. You see every now and then, you know, these stories of people remodeling homes and coming across weird stuff, be it, you know, old booze, old whiskey, money, guns, razor blades, um, baby dolls, you know, creepy, weird stuff. No, this one, a whole freaking van. Yeah. And, you know, this family said they had been using this pantry. So part of the van was split up into the pantry, and then the other part was actually a bathroom. So the back half of the van was where the bathroom was. And, again, they said, the you know, the curvature of the roof in these two rooms it just didn't make a lot of sense they were you know like the rest of the house doesn't isn't like this why is this that way and little did they know almost 70 years of this family you know uh you know having their kids and then them having kids and grandkids a whole generation of of people growing up in this house little did they know it was, they were growing up inside a van. I don't know. I think that's kind of cool. And, you know, it, it makes me think, like, the only thing I question is, why didn't it look more like a van on the inside? Why would you go to all the trouble to build the house around the car and then not have some semblance of a car on the inside? Like, me as a car enthusiast, I would do this, but I, I would want people to know that, yeah, this room looks like the inside of a van because it is. <laughs> I don't know. That's uh, that's just my taste in homes. There's a also a good reason why um, uh, realtors don't like people like me. So because uh, if I had my you know if I had my way and I built a house however I wanted to, uh, good luck to the next guy trying to sell it. It would only it would appeal to me and me alone and maybe you as well, but not many other people. I would uh, I would say that much. But anyway, very interesting story there. Hopefully someone will take this van now and I don't know either incorporate it into the new section of house they're building. I feel like they have to keep it. I feel like they do. They uh, they, they are bound by honor to keep this thing either in some capacity as part of the house or, I don't know, maybe restore it, try to get it running. Looks a little crusty for that, in my opinion. It might, it might be a little too far gone, but, you know, doing something else with it would be uh, would be interesting. And of all the things you could find behind the walls of your house... Ford Transit van is not one of the worst. So anyway, uh, there, there you go. Would I do this? Of course I would do this. Of course I would. Now, uh, before we get into the, the rest of that, uh, I want to talk a little bit, too, about the... Um, let's move on to the, the new International Scout. Because the... And again, I say new because Volkswagen recently acquired a company that also owned International. And to give you some context, the... International Scout was a Jeep-like SUV. Uh, it was more like a Ford Bronco, made in the 1960s, 60s and up, that was uh, really popular. It was maybe second to the Bronco, second to the Jeep, second or third to the Jeep, but it was a popular alternative, you know, when these short SUVs were really coming into style uh, and really becoming popular. The Scout was made by a company, again, called International, sometimes known as International Harvester. They make uh, International for decades, has made a lot of farm equipment. They've made a lot of construction equipment, a lot of, you know, heavy duty, uh, you know, semi trucks and things like that. That's what International has made. And uh, they did decide at one point to do a consumer vehicle, which became the Scout. And ultimately, then that also became the Scout 2. Uh, and the Scout 2, a friend of mine in high school had a uh, uh, virtually entirely restored Scout 2, and it was the coolest thing around. I mean, 
when we talk about American car companies, right, we always talk about one of my favorites, American Motors, the the little brother, the the underdog, you know, trying to fight with uh, General Motors and Dodge and Ford. Uh, International was competing with all of them, too. But it was, in terms of popularity, I would say, they didn't really have many offerings like AMC did. Um, they, they were maybe a rung below AMC, which that is that is saying something. Now, that's not to say they made poor quality vehicles. Uh, they were known for, you know, their, de- I won't say dependability, that's maybe a bit of a stretch, but they were, they were known for their ruggedness, right? Their, uh, you know, throw it down the trail and go type of vehicle. And uh, they did have famously issues with rust. Apparently, when they would build these internationals, um, they uh, would leave the frame rail. So they would they would weld up the frames and everything, get them ready to go, and then leave the frames in a pile outside of the factory, untreated, uncoated, unpainted, sitting in the rain, and then they would bring them inside and assemble them. And the rust would get inside of the frame rails, like picture like a box frame, right? The rust would be inside of there. Then they would paint over all of it, and they came with rust from the factory. Famously, that was an issue they had. So I won't say they were the utmost in you know quality, but they were interesting. They were cool. Again, I love the story of underdog car manufacturers, uh, you know, trying their best to compete with the big three. You know, I think a good underdog story is is always fun. Uh, it's always cool to be contrary to the current trend that you know GM, Ford, and uh, Dodge are going to, and, uh, you know, something about that's kind of neat. You know, you're not following the herd. I like that about the international. Now where this comes into the year 2022, which is now, and, um, is Volkswagen, uh, a purchased, uh, purchased the international harvester company. This is a little while back. They've been sitting on it, but they announced on their Twitter just earlier this week saying, this is for you. Hashtag USA. They say they will produce a all-electric pickup truck and rugged SUV. Uh, they're saying the strong, iconic brand Scout gets electrified. Ah, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right. Yeah, all this great news about the comeback of the Scout, and it's going to be an EV. I feel like this is happening to a lot of stuff. You know, the, oh, this cool old car brand that we like, this cool old, old nameplate. You know, oh, we want to bring it back and invoke feelings of nostalgia for this old nameplate. By the way, it's going to be an EV. They're just, I don't know why, you know, part of me, just for the sake of argument here, uh, I think it might be, genuinely, I do think this will be a fun vehicle. It'll be interesting to see what Volkswagen does. Uh, We certainly have no shortage of boxy SUVs now, of course, with the Ford Bronco, uh, you know, being becoming popular with uh, Rivian making electric pickup trucks, electric SUVs as well. We've talked about that. You know, there's no shortage of this, but also part of me kind of, You know, it's like when Hollywood makes a remake of a movie that really didn't need to have a remake. They're just cashing in on the existing name value. It's a cheap out. It is a easy way to market and sell to people who, you know, might be skeptical of the brand and say, oh, I remember the Scout. The Scout was a good truck. I liked the Scout. Oh, well, this is an EV. Oh, it's a Scout. It must also have all the things that I like about the Scout, which it's a different vehicle. It's an entirely different vehicle. So again, using my analogy of Hollywood, this is when Hollywood, you know, endlessly remakes classic films that, you know, should just be left to be classic. They should they should be enjoyed in their original form. Uh, and, you know, I, I'm always of the opinion that Hollywood should 
come up with new stories. Come up with new stuff that's fun. G- generate a whole new fan base, a whole new culture around a, a new story you have. Um, that's completely original in the, the same way these classic films that we regard as classics now uh, did when they were new. They were new concepts. Uh, they hadn't been done before, and they generated a fan base because of that. Just simply making a sequel to it or a remake is just lazy from a creative standpoint. And I feel like that's what they're doing with the Scout. Ooh, we're going to make, a, you know, Volkswagen, we're going to make a new EV SUV thing that's rugged and it'll take on the Ford Bronco and the Jeep Wrangler and we bought the international brand. All they did was they, yeah, sure, they might have bought the brand, they might have bought a lot of the industrial equipment with it, that might have been why it was a smart business decision, but in this case, they're not reusing anything from the original Scout. It is a ground-up new vehicle, and I I don't blame you, like, why would you reuse a vehicle from, you know, uh, 60 years ago or whatever, but... That's fine. I mean, it's sure it's a new vehicle. It might be really good. You know, it's going to have good power. They're pro- probably it's electric, so you know it's going to be torquey, right? Why not just come up with a new nameplate? Come up with something interesting that's that's cool and that really gets people in on this idea. That's what the original creators of vehicles like the Bronco, the Scout, when they were fresh ideas to the market, they were completely new untrusted brands. They hadn't had anything backing them up before. Obviously, Ford had a long history of manufacturing, but when they came out with the Bronco, there was nothing on the market like it. The closest thing you had was the CJ5 Jeep, and that was a little more stripped out and a little more bare bones than even the original Broncos were. So, uh, you know, that was a more raw experience, you could say. Um, You know, and the Bronco brought some refinement and some luxury to it by 1960s standards. So, same thing. International comes out with a Bronco competitor as well. International, very unknown brand. They did it, and they were successful with it. So, you know, why automakers can't do that now? It just tells me it's cheap marketing. It's We're taking the easiest path, which, yeah, they're in the business of making money. They're going to take the easy path. But instead of creating their own thing that is unique and cool and developing a dedicated uh, group of customers who really like it, They're just cashing in on an old nameplate, hoping that'll get people to like it. And I think that is, uh, that's just a poor way to do things. Um, It's the, you know, cheap way to do it. That's the, um, you know, way that also, in my opinion, kind of tarnishes the original. You know, in some ways, when a new car like this comes out that's named after the original, you will see that it will boost sales of the original, right? It boosts hype in that original thing. Look at how much Ford Bronco prices went up. Uh, when Ford announced they were going to start making the new Bronco. And then when those went in production, people started getting them. If you want to get a classic Bronco now, you're spending a lot of money, especially one of the very early body style ones. You know, not talking like the OJ Simpson, you know, era of, of Ford Bronco, but some of the early ones. Uh, yeah, the hype on those went up massively. But likewise, that doesn't help you as a manufacturer a whole lot. Because those cars have already been made. They've already been produced. People are buying them used. You as a manufacturer haven't made any money off of that car or the hype of people buying the used version of that car from 60 years ago. Ford made their money on that 60 years ago. It's irrelevant to them now. But that said, Ford did a good job with it. They did a lot of things right. The new Bronco is interesting it's got all the right bits of retro styling and it's and it hits all the right bases right it'll be left to it's just left up to time to see if volkswagen can do this with the scout brand uh then again i don't know 
if they would be selling these Scout models in their own dealerships, that's unlikely. They would probably be selling them in Volkswagen dealerships. And no one who wants a true American piece of history, a true piece of Americana, is going walking into a Volkswagen dealership looking for it. They're not. And that's not to you know say anything bad about the Germans. I mean, I, I do talk crap about German products and Volkswagens in particular and how finicky maintenance on them can be and things like that. Overall, they're all, they're all right cars, but you buy those because you want a Volkswagen. You don't walk into the Volkswagen dealership because you want a piece of American history. You don't. That's not what you walk in there for. So I have a feeling they're probably going to be missing their demographic with this. Um, I have, I, I, that's just conjecture. That's just, you know, a theory of mine right now. They say that the production of the international scout, the new scout will go in. It'll, they'll actually start producing these in 2026, which that's amazing. Cause all they have right now are some sketches online that they posted some side profiles, like very much early preliminary design stage, um, to see a car like this hit production in four years and it's electric and it's supposed to be rugged, dependable, durable, live up to the original nameplate. That's going to be a challenge. That's going to be a challenge. I mean, Volkswagen's a massive auto manufacturer, a massive uh, piece of the industry. You know, Volkswagen Group obviously owning Audi and Lamborghini and Volkswagen and, you know, Porsche and all these things. They're huge. They Yeah, they can do it. But it'll be interesting to see what they do and if they can actually land their demographic with this and if they can compete well with the Jeep Wrangler, the Ford Bronco, all of the above. So there you go. Now that is, that's a thing. The International Scout, it's coming back. We'll see what it does. Anyway, I got more great stuff we are going to get to right here after the break. At the Speed Council, getting things done fast is our priority. We do everything fast, from driving, working, sleeping, and eating. Someone help! He's choking! This is Tim. Hello. And by the time this ad is over, he'll have bicycled across the earth 69 times. Nice. Even if our name sounds unfamiliar, you know our work. F1? Pfft. Child's play. The world's first supersonic jet? Yep. That was us. Apollo 11? Also us. The fastest animal in the sea? Hell. We even wrote the Wikipedia article, fast. And we're so dedicated to speed that we've genetically engineered the world's first hyperspeed speed machine. With this scientific breakthrough, you can download your favorite automotive podcast a whole day early. How's that for fast? Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now. Download the show early and receive special perks. This message approved by the Speed Council and the Church of Fast Things. All right, there we go. That is Scott and his turbocharged Honda Del Sol. How cool is that? That's just silly. I just love the idea of a turbo Del Sol. The Del Sol, by the way, is weird little footnote in Honda history that has a D-Series single cam engine in it with a turbo. He's like, no, I'm not B-Series swapping. I'm not doing any of that. Screw it. We're just sticking a turbo on the factory single cam D-Series and sending it. I respect that. That's a lot of fun. Now, if you would like, uh, as Scott did as well, if you would like to send your car sounds into the show, I can only encourage you to do that because for some reason, of course, I, I gain entertainment from listening to these car sounds and I enjoy playing them here. Hopefully you enjoy them as well. You can send those in facebook.com slash automotive ADHD, Matt at throttlewarrior.com. And of course, 
when you send those car sounds in, you are also entered for a chance to win the automotive ADHD keychain and the $25 gift card to a parts store. So you can get, you know, those good auto parts. <laughs> so very good stuff. And uh, of course, you can't enter to win if you don't enter. So there's no chance of winning if you don't enter. So obviously, I think it's worth your time to do it. Uh, Nikos in Sweden, he finally did get his package. It only took like a month for international shipping. But you know what? It got there. And that is what counts. I will ship it to wherever in the world I can. As long as there is uh, mail service in your country, I reckon I can ship it over there. Uh, and uh, Brad, of course, from uh, last week's or this last month's uh, winner, Brad, is I don't think looking at tracking it's been delivered yet and he's lives just like 70 miles from me so there's the beauty of well let's not talk about the post service right now if you want to talk about the american postal service um let's uh go go listen to a previous episode that i did about the new mail truck that they're getting and the whole controversy around that now anyway i want to get into uh, before we talk about interest rates and money and oh exciting stuff right uh there was a guy the other day, who got busted, check this out, for doing 165 miles an hour in his Hellcat. Now, not surprising, Hellcat owner gets in trouble for speeding. Oh, big deal. They do that all the time. Oh, Hellcat owner does 165. Big deal. They do 200. That happens all the time. But what's funny about this is, and uh, I, I have to... Um, I, I have to give, um, uh, uh, let, me, let me pull him up here. I have to give Caleb Jacobs uh, the uh, hat tip for this this story. Uh, but it comes out of uh, Oklahoma. Dude was doing a buck 65 when the Oklahoma Highway Patrol clocked him on radar. That means the cop was just, you know, sitting there with his radar gun going, uh, 45, 45, 55, 165, 45. Wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> One of these isn't like the other. Uh, anyway, the cop gives him a ticket. For 450 bucks, which uh, if you're familiar with any sort of speeding, if you have received a speeding ticket at some point in your life, you might be saying, what? 450 bucks for 165 miles an hour? That is getting off easy. Easy, which it is. It, that is totally getting off way easy. And uh, so, for instance, in um, Virginia, um, in Virginia, the for just as an example, I was looking this up. Uh, it's six dollars for every mile an hour over the speed limit, and that's where it starts. Uh, Virginia is famous for its uh, being a the, the the whole state is a speed trap essentially. Now here in Colorado, uh, it's ten dollars. It depends on which county you live in. Obviously, here in Colorado, generally speaking, and where I'm from, the county I live in, it's ten dollars for every mile an hour over the speed limit. Ask me how I know. So <laughs> that being said, um, getting four. So if that was the case, $10 every mile an hour over the speed limit, 165 miles an hour, 1650 bucks. Yeah, 1650 So that's what that would come out to even just, just here in Colorado. Now, this guy, nothing else. I mean, look, when you go that fast, I don't speak for every state. Obviously, if you live in another uh, country, a great number of my listeners live in Europe and other places. This may not apply to you, but you get at least uh, you at least get some insight into how we do things here in the United States. Um, typically, 25 miles an hour over the speed limit uh, is a threshold in a lot of places where it goes from being a traffic offense, which is minor and doesn't go on your your record as a citizen or anything like that, uh, and you just pay the ticket. It might go on your insurance, but 
Otherwise, not a big deal. But 25 miles an hour is usually the threshold of where it transitions from a traffic offense to a misdemeanor criminal offense, which means that is an actual crime now. Uh, the same as if you, uh, you know, committed shoplifting under a certain value or the same as if you did, uh, you know, some sort of like misdemeanor uh, assault. It, it's, it's regarded the same way. So it's a lot more serious when you get a misdemeanor for doing 25 miles an hour over the speed limit, which 25 is pretty low amount to be doing over, especially since every modern car can safely do 100 miles an hour now for the most part. Um, I, it, that's a whole nother topic for another day if we should be raising speed limits or if we should be reassessing our driver education system that doesn't actually teach people how to drive because the big push right now is, ooh, we need to lower our speed limits. Um, uh, uh, Pete Buttigieg, our transportation secretary here in the United States, is famously now has is, is been saying that he's going to spend a huge amount of money in a push to reduce the national speed limit. Reduce it! Yeah! Not getting political here, but... Reducing the speed limit when modern vehicles are capable of speeds well in excess of when we set the national speed limit like 50 years ago and Britain, they can they can go faster, they can stop faster, they can turn faster. They're just generally better. Anyway, that's that's a whole nother topic. Obviously, I have uh, mentioned this before with the driver's ed system. Uh, scroll back to that podcast feed and you'll find my thoughts on that. I, I do believe the driver's ed system here in the United States uh, is very much broken and the result of that is drivers who really aren't qualified to be driving, and that's why you're getting an increase in uh, traffic accidents and all these statistics that folks are lighting uh, are, are citing as a reason to reduce the speed limits. I, I believe reducing the speed limits will do nothing. You need to create better drivers, more importantly, especially as distractions and social media and, and screens and cars become more prevalent. So anyway, I digress. This dude got off easy, 165 miles an hour, $450 ticket, no other criminal thing or anything. Just, yeah, pay the ticket. Have a nice day. I think that's because in looking at the ticket, which the uh, uh, highway patrol there in Oklahoma posted on their uh, Twitter page, uh, speeding 41 miles an hour, or more over the speed limit is the charge he got. I have a feeling that's sort of a, a blanket thing. It doesn't matter if it's 41 miles an hour or 200 miles an hour. It's just, that's just the upper category. I have a feeling that's how they do things. And uh, officially, again, I cannot condone that you do this. Um, that's a huge amount of speed to be going on a public road where, um, I mean, so much as hitting a, a, you know, a small rodent, a small animal or something is going to, you know, deflect the car enough that you're going to have to take corrective action at that speed and maybe spin out your at that speed. You're relying a lot on the assumption that the driver is a good driver. And obviously, um, you don't need to be a good driver to be able to buy a 700 horsepower V8 Hellcat supercharged, obviously fast car. You don't have to be a good driver. You just have to have money. That's one thing, too. Uh, perhaps also a topic for another day that uh, money does not buy driving skill and uh, that's been proven over and over again by lots of supercar owners. You can find tons of crash compilations on, on the Internet, uh, you know, of uh, supercar owners crashing their stuff. But anyway, I digress. Let's talk about other expensive things, not just Hellcats, not just supercars. No, no, no. Let's uh, let's talk about interest rates, finances. <laughs> Trust me, this will be exciting. And if anything, at least it'll be informative because uh, earlier this month, the Fed here in the U.S. raised interest rates across the board a whole half 
point. And ooh, only half a point. Doesn't sound like a lot. Uh, well, when you when you actually look into this, that is the highest jump in short-term interest rates in more than 20 years. The last time this happened was in the year 2000. So that is a very big deal. And uh, before we talk about that, to, to explain it further, here's a clip from uh, CBS's business analyst, Jill Schlesinger. And uh, here, here's what she has to say on that. Well, this move was expected, and it's intended to thread a very precise needle. We're trying to see if the Fed can ease prices without triggering a recession or job losses. Now, this hike means... You may see interest rates rise on everything from credit card balances to new auto loans, adjustable rate mortgages, even some small business loans. So there you go. The key point that she mentioned that is relevant to us here on this, you know, being a car show is uh, car loans, auto loans. Yeah. So this will cause a substantial jump in interest rates across all sorts of automotive loans, which is, I mean, they've already been very high with uh, automotive demand being the way it is. I mean, when you look at this, Edmonds reports that the average used car payment is $538 a month. That's for used cars. Uh, last week, we talked about the average new car payment, and it's uh, it's a lot higher, like think 800 or more. But having said that, $538 a month for used cars. And uh, in an interview with um, Christian Shaw, a writer from The Drive, uh, the Edmonds executive director, named Jessica Cadwell, said, quote, in the past, interest rate hikes didn't affect the new car market significantly because automakers subsidize many loans. Now she goes on to say, quote, automakers still do subsidize many loans, hence the average new vehicle financed at a dealer has a 4.7% APR. That said, since inventory is so tight right now, automakers have less motivation to offer low interest rate loans since it is technically an incentive program end quote so that that that's that's her thoughts there and that is interesting and that is telling to this point when you look at how things are working the way the used car market is the uh you know automakers offer incentives and financing incentives especially when they're trying to move inventory really fast when they have a surplus of cars when they have a for example an outgoing model of a certain car the new generation of it the new model has come out they have a huge supply on dealerships of the you know say the 2019 model and it's or say 2021 now and it's now 2022 and there's a new one out a whole ground up new model well they'll they'll let those go and you'll see ads for you know ooh zero percent apr on this for however many months and you know finance with us and you'll get a deal on the the interest rate or interest rates as low as this um that's because they're trying to move that inventory but the problem is now there isn't inventory to move they do not have because of the automotive chip shortage they do not have nearly as much inventory already uh, because of the way people are buying cars right now as well. They, they just don't. New inventory is low. Used inventory is low. This has been a thing we've covered on this show for for months, like six months now. And raising the interest rates are also going to cause a problem because Automakers already weren't offering as many incentives on cars because of the inventory struggle. Well, now the interest rates on those cars that aren't getting any incentives or any discounts is going to be even higher because of that. Banks are going to be loaning that money. Obviously, the auto manufacturer is underwriting these loans through a lot of its own uh, banks and banks that it works with. But regardless, whether it's your personal bank you're doing the loan with, whether it's the finance guy at the car dealership who's underwriting that loan through the manufacturer's bank or one of their affiliates, doesn't matter. Banks 
are going to be loaning money at a higher rate as far as how much it costs to do the loan. Obviously, think that your interest rate is the cost of the loan over the term of the loan. That's how much money the bank is profiting on you by loaning you that money because banks are also, <laughs> this is amazing, in the business of making money. I know I say that a lot, but it's very true and it is always the explanation. It always holds true as to why manufacturers, auto manufacturers, and things and people do the things that they do. You can always trace that when you follow the money. Oh, yeah, they're in the business of making money and it's cheaper for them to do this and they can sell this for more or whatever. That's usually always going to be your reason. Oh, why doesn't this manufacturer sell this? We all want this. Well, See previous statement, basically. So um, now the result of this is people are going to buy older and cheaper cars. I, I foresee that because um, buying an older car means that it's going to be it's going to be more heavily depreciated, and you as a buyer are going to be paying less for it. And if you're taking out an auto loan to buy a used car, and that used car is cheaper. Well, the interest rate's higher, but you're still getting into roughly the same amount of money. Uh, when I was in college, I spent a summer working as a car salesman. And uh, the the thing that we always pushed was, you know, uh, not how much you can afford, but, you know, what's the total price? No, the question was always, well, what can you do monthly? Because a lot of auto buyers, a lot of consumers who just buy cars to get around us as auto enthusiasts, we think this is crazy because... We buy cars a little differently than the rest of people out there. But uh, the average consumer, you know, doesn't look at this as in a, I can afford a $35,000 car. No, they look at this, oh, I can afford five fifty dollars a month on my car payment. And that's what you'll always find an auto salesman going off of, too. Well, what's your monthly? What can you afford monthly? And that's a dangerous question because that also gets you into, you know, 72-month car loans at a very high interest rate. The very bad car loans. 72 months, you know, when you go with these longer-term loans, you're losing more depreciation on the car by the end of that loan. That car at the end of the loan is not worth what you bought it for. Um, granted, you lost the same amount of money as you, or roughly, you will have lost the same amount of money as if you had bought it new in cash. But... The problem is you also have that interest rate to contend with. The depreciation of the car is irrelevant. But if you're at a you know 10% interest rate, um, then over the course of that 72 months, you're going to be paying thousands upon thousands of dollars in interest, depending on the actual principal cost of the car. So that's that's a little insight into how, obviously, that works. Also, just a little bit of a tip when you go to a car dealer, the question, how much can you afford every month? That is a loaded question. What's your monthly? That is a very loaded question. The best thing you can do is either buy in cash if you have the ability to, or if it makes sense from a like a business perspective, oh, I'm going to put this on loan on a loan because I don't want to tie up other capital in this at the moment because I have my other capital invested, for example. But uh, what makes sense with this is getting the lowest uh, term length of the loan that you can, like a 48-month car loan. That's usually what I like is a 48-month loan. Yeah, the payment's higher, but you pay it off faster. And say you have a 10% of very high interest rate. It'd be something like four and a half, three to four or five percent, depending on your credit. But having said that, um, you know, you're going to pay less money in interest because the interest is over the term of the loan. And if the term is shorter, that's less interest. Now, what I predict, though, is, again, we're going to see a lot of people buying cheaper used cars. Uh, and what that is going to do is that is also going to put an even tighter crunch on the used car market. It's already pretty tight. I mean, the past, 
you know, couple of years with the pandemic and the chip shortage has already caused folks to start buying used cars. I mean, this is why you see Toyota, you know, Corollas, you know, 2007 Toyota Corollas with 490,000 miles. You know, some guy on on Facebook Marketplace or Craigslist is like $10,000, no low ballers. You know that meme, the no low ballers. I know what I have. Yeah, I know. I know it's an old crusty Corolla, but I know what I have. So uh, I think that's what you're going to see. You're going to see an even higher jump in the cost of used cars. Uh, uh, for us being auto enthusiasts, where does that leave us? I mean, a lot of us already buy really, really cheap cars. I mean, like very cheap cars. I don't think that's going to be a problem. I think cars that are the, you know, average 10 years old of a new car uh, are going to be, um, you know, I think those are those are where... The average car on the road right now, what I'm getting at is about 10 years old, and that's going to be the average used car trading around between average families. Again, we're not talking auto enthusiasts. Again, we do things a little bit differently. We don't always buy cars the same way, and we don't always do make sash, uh, you know, rational money purchases, but, you know, that is what it is. Now, at the end of the day, um, you know, I think if you have a used car to, to sell, you, you might make a little bit of profit, but I'm never a fan of just playing into the overall market because that, that makes things worse for everyone. People buying things at what more than they're worth encourages people to sell things for more than they're worth, obviously. But at the end of the day, should you really take financial advice from a car show host who is, um, let me put it this way. I'm still holding on to my GameStop shares. Yeah. GME. We're still going to the moon. I, I'm diamond handing that stock all the way into the ground. Just uh, I'll have you know that much. So take that with a grain of salt. That's what's going on with used cars right now. Now, coming up in the next segment of the show, OBD1 Kenobi is going to be answering a question you never knew you had. What happens when you pour gas or Coke rather into the gas tank? That's right here. And now for how things work with an engineer. Engines. Speed. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttlewarrior. Oh yeah, that is Steve Kraft, his Porsche 911 Turbo. That's an older car sound. I just had to dig it up. I was going through my huge list of car sounds. I, I have quite a lot of them now. So many folks have sent them in, have uh, had themselves entered for a chance to win the automotive ADHD keychain and a $25 auto parts store gift card. But I, I came across his again and I just said, oh my God, that I got to play it again. It's been months since I played that one. That's just an insane flyby. It's a classic air-cooled Porsche turbo it's just mental mental stuff you know i i love that i i you know car sounds i like them I've, you're no stranger to that at least and uh, send those in if you want to get them on the show now one thing a listener sent in to me was uh interesting so uh they sent in a screenshot of a piece of clickbait you know clickbait obviously you're familiar with it even if even if hypothetically you don't know the term i mean obviously it's advertising and and uh things on the internet that are designed to get you to click because they look outrageous or say something completely bonkers like click this now to remove wrinkles in three days some stupid stuff like that right well this one uh features uh something a little more interesting especially to me it caught my eye it shows somebody pouring a 
bottle of Coke, as in the soda, uh, into the gas tank of a car. And it says, simple trick to lower car fuel consumption by 55%. Ooh, exciting, right? Well, when you actually click the ad, it takes you to this really stupid OBD2 connector that claims to reduce fuel consumption, uh, which I argue if that's really even possible to do through, you know, the diagnostic port on a ECU for an ECU on a OBD2 car. I, I question if that's even legitimate, but you know what? They're running this type of ad. I, I would assume they're not legitimate, but it takes you to this stupid thing. It has nothing to do with pouring Coke in the gas tank of the car. And what's interesting is scrolling through Twitter, you discover tons of people posting about similar things from all sorts of other countries. It is it's becoming some sort of trend for not even, you know, this advertiser for tons of different ones to, you know, claim well, number one way to save $2 a gallon. Same picture of this guy pouring Coke in the gas tank. There, I, I want to know what sort of person is coming up with this level of marketing. I mean, really, really. There's another one here. It comes from Germany, and it's in German. I, I'll refrain from reading it because I don't speak German, but... Uh, it shows someone holding a dishwasher tab up to the uh, gas filler, the filler nozzle on their car. And uh, presumably the German that I can't read on here would uh, say something about save money on gas. We're seeing this a lot because gas is going up and we're seeing all of this really shady marketing trying to get you to buy products to lower the cost of gas. It's ridiculous. We've talked about gas prices, but oh, there's another one here. I'm just I'm scrolling through the feed here as I'm reading this. Someone pouring ketchup. It's a bottle of ketchup in their fuel tank. It's got oh, big old arrows pointing at it. Save your gas with this. Is anyone taking this seriously? I know these ads adverts are just designed to get you to click on them. But hypothetically, right, you know, what would happen if you just you looked at this ad and, and you were not a very intelligent person and you said, oh, I see this ad. You don't click on it. Oh, OK. Coke in the gas tank. Oh, it can save it can save, uh, you know, gas. Uh, 55% of my uh, fuel economy, it can save that. Ooh, let me try it. <laughs> so it got me wondering, what on earth actually happens when you pour gas, or I said that again, when you pour fuel, can you believe I'm, I'm paid to talk, and some, somehow I get this stuff backwards. Anyway, when you pour uh, Coca-Cola into the gas tank, what actually happens? Now, I have theories about what would happen. Now, when you pour uh, the classic way that, you know, people have done to vandalize another car, which, by the way, when you vandalize someone's car, you are like the scourge of society. You are a a cretin. You are a, the most diabolical type of person walking on the planet. But I digress. Uh, people have traditionally poured sugar in someone's gas tank if they want to disable that car. And what that does is sugar in gasoline doesn't dissolve in the same way that it does in water. It just acts like a it doesn't dissolve. It just stays granular. And then that granular uh, sugar, I mean, it's basically the same difference as pouring, I don't know, sand into the gas tank. It's going to get sucked up into the fuel pickup, the fuel pickup sock into the fuel filter and clog that. And if it makes it past that, uh, it's going to clog up the fuel injectors or the jets in the carburetor. I mean, people have been doing this for, for, for decades, by the way. But it got me thinking, right? Coca-Cola is different, though. The sugar in it is not granular. It's been, you know, it's in a liquid form. In fact, the sugar in it comes from being corn syrup instead of actual granular processed sugar. So what would happen? Honestly, what would happen if you, you did that? And obviously, I have theories. I can speculate on this, but I would rather get someone 
who knows a thing or two about cars. Yes, he is friend of the show. You have heard him here many times before, though not recently. It's been a couple months since I've had him on. I think that's rude. I should have him on the show uh, a little more often. He is a mechanic by trade. His name is OBD1 Kenobi. Brian, welcome to the show. Uh, what's up, Matt? Okay, so I have been talking a little bit about uh, Coca-Cola in gas gas tanks and what would actually happen. You know, and I mentioned earlier that you know the when you do sugar in a gas tank, that's just clogging up the the fuel pickup and the fuel filter because the sugar doesn't actually dissolve. And allegedly, that's what happens. That it's no different than just pouring uh, you know sand into the gas tank as well. So, but the question is, what would happen then with Coca-Cola? That is entirely different it's got water in it what do you think would happen from a mechanical perspective i mean if it went straight through it wasn't sitting in the tank i imagine it would just go straight through it probably cause some temporary drivability maybe even stall but other than that i can't really think of what would happen i'd have to try it myself i think I think that's something we we both might have to try on on something here. Yeah, as you well. know how I am. I'm very skeptical until I try something. Yep, yep. And uh, this this might be something we actually have to do now. Then the question is, um, if you assume that the Coca Cola behaves more like water does, um, then how does that behave in in a, a fuel tank? Have you dealt with uh, water in fuel tanks before, and how that runs? Yeah, we have. Um... I would say that I have actually messed with using Coca-Cola to clean a gas tank or gas tank parts before. I don't know if you've ever tried that, Matt. I haven't. I've used Coca-Cola on a battery terminal, but I've never tried to clean fuel system parts with it. Oh, that's another fantastic use, too, is battery terminals. They work really good for battery terminals. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have actually put water, WD-40, obviously gasoline, probably some other sorts of cleaners around the shop and through some injectors and some fuel pumps. And so far, all is good. However, I do know that often a gas tank that's contaminated with a significant amount of water, since it won't mix, obviously, with the gas, uh, it likes to float or settle, and it will eventually, the pump will suck it up like raw, and all of a sudden, the fuel rail will become completely full of water, depending on how much water there is, and the car will probably stall or run incredibly sluggish for a second. Okay, and would there be any risk then of just hydrolocking it, because you're dumping straight water at that point from the injectors into the cylinders? Well, you have to remember those injectors are still opening at the expected intervals for a regular gasoline, so in theory, you're not really adding any more liquid than you would be with gasoline, so it would not hydrolock. Okay, so like more like a sudden and accidental injection of like water methanol, like how race cars do it. Yeah, the only the only way it would hydrolock is just like if it was like with a with gasoline, wouldn't have to be water, but like if one of those injectors hung open, like with the car off or something, and bled the fuel pressure and volume into one cylinder port or something like that, that would would cause a hydrolock, but while it's running and it sucks up some water, nah, it'll be fine. Okay. Just steam clean. It's just a steam clean. There you go. So then uh, basically <laughs> what brought about this whole idea was uh, that a listener sent in a screenshot of a piece of clickbait that said, simple trick to lower car fuel consumption by 55%. It's a clickbait on a, on a website, okay? It's like one of those ads at the bottom of a website. And it shows somebody pouring... Oh, right 
it, it shows someone pouring a bottle of Coca-Cola into a fuel filler neck with that caption underneath it. Now, you said you actually have cleaned fuel system parts with Coca-Cola. Could that actually increase the fuel economy, economy by some weird way of cleaning out the sludge mm. out of injectors or cleaning carbon off the back of the valves? What, what do you think? Oh, man, I feel like I'm going to shoot myself in the foot with all this theory here. Uh, if it were, I would say if it was something removed from the system and then cleaned on the bench, that would make sense. But I think putting it directly into the gas tank with maybe like a two liter, even at best, probably wouldn't do much good, if at all anything, likely just harm. Okay, okay. So in, at the end of the day, then you really are reducing the fuel consumption because you're um, you're you're disabling the car, and if it does not run, you cannot burn the fuel. Oh my God! I've never thought of it that way. Think of that's, it that that's way. Perfect, Matt. That's actually we decreasing the that's decreasing the fuel economy or the fuel consumption by a hundred percent. The ad only stated fifty five percent. So we we basically eliminated carbon emissions. If the car can't run, then there's no emissions to be had. <sighs> Mind blown. Mind blown. There you go. <laughs> oh, my God. Well, I guess that that doesn't necessarily bring closure to this question. I think what we're going to have to do is, no, it doesn't, is, does it? is get one of one of the many sub, you know, two hundred dollar cars that you have and uh, just just uh, try it and see what happens. I think I think we got some spare fuel pumps we're going to have to to annihilate here soon. I, I, I think so. <laughs> this sounds like a plan, Brian. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I want to thank you for uh, joining me on the show. And I guess uh, we have to uh, stay tuned. Let's figure out what happens here for sure. We got to know. Yeah, we got to know. Awesome. I need to know too now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see, again, completely eliminate fuel usage with the Coca-Cola. So, so there we go. There we go. Awesome. Brian, thank you for joining me. Yeah, no problem, Matt. Okay, so now I guess you know, or maybe more perhaps you don't know. <laughs> to uh, The answers to questions you never thought you had, I think this is um, something you'll want to keep an eye out for on the Automotive ADHD Facebook page. We're going to try this. We're going we're gonna to block out some time here in the upcoming weeks, see what happens, play with some Coca-Cola, play with some fuel for no other reason than, you know, because we can. And I think I'll go ahead and post that on the freshly minted Automotive ADHD TikTok page. Yep, there's going to be a lot of honestly there's going to be a lot of fun stuff there if you uh if you scroll over to that right now if you happen to be on TikTok, uh there's already a good list of videos that are going to be kind of that are fun. There's uh, me working on the garage, there's me discovering why on earth you shouldn't cheap out on CV joints with my S2000. I think you'll find this interesting. And of course, if you want to get your automotive ADHD fix between episodes, I think that is going to be a good way for you to do that. And of course, I do want to thank you for joining me on this edition of the show. Send those car sounds in to be entered for a chance to win the keychain and the $25 gift card to a auto parts store. Uh, Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com, Facebook.com slash Automotive ADHD. You can subscribe to find podcasts and this one wherever those are downloaded. And I will see you same time, same place next week when we cause the failure of the astral gate and plunge the universe into chaos. See you then.